huge privilege to uh, be here this weekend. My wife and I, Deborah, um, are from uh, downtown Chicago. We uh, uh, The accent gives it away, I know. Um, uh, I was actually born here in England, um, in Nottingham. And so this is really, no ways. What? I have no idea. I was born in Nottingham and then my parents immigrated when I was a year old. So this is a little bit of a homecoming for me. Um, but uh, yeah, grew up in South Africa and then 18 years ago, my wife and I and our two kids at the time moved over to Chicago and planted a church called Anthem Church in, in downtown Chicago. And uh, just a huge privilege to, to be here with you this weekend. Super, super excited. Just we come full of faith and full of expectation for what God wants to, wants to do this weekend. And um, just love that, that encouragement from, from Russ, for us to just open our hearts and to allow the Spirit of God to do what only He is able to do this weekend. What we need in America, what we need in this nation, is a move of God. We need a move of God. We are hungry for the Spirit to blow, for the Spirit to move. And I trust that we come with that collective heart this weekend, uh, looking to our Lord and Savior Jesus, trusting for the Spirit of God to be poured out upon our hearts. And so, Lord, as we go into the Word, as we spend time in the Word this evening, I pray that it would be with um, just with soil uh, in our hearts, ready to receive your, the seed of your Word. And, uh, Lord, we, we trust, we trust, Holy Spirit, that you would blow upon this Word this evening, mm-hmm. that you would bring not just uh, my words, not just the Word of man, but, Lord God, uh, let, let my words fall to the, fall to the floor. But I pray your word, Lord God, your word would take root. Your word would, your word would breathe life, would bring light, would release power. And Lord God, that there would be much fruitfulness from this weekend. We come with expectations, but Lord, we look to the God who wants to do immeasurably more than what we, we can hope for. And we pray for the glory of your name, Jesus, you would do immeasurably more. Yes, in our hearts this weekend. Yes, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in three uh, texts this evening, starting off in Hebrews 11. So if you want to head over to Hebrews 11, we're also going to be in Genesis 12 and Joshua chapter 1. Those are the three passages of Scripture that we're going to look at uh, this evening. Um, we, uh, As I mentioned, my wife and I left South Africa 18 years ago with our two girls. And uh, a few years after that, we had a son, Cade who's now 16. But when he was about four or five, I took him to the Chicago Science Museum for the very first time. And without boasting or bragging, honestly, it is one of the most incredible museums. I'm a bit of a science nerd, so I love visiting the Science Museum. So I was super excited to take my son to the the Science Museum, although he was only five. We parked our car in 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 the parking complex and found our way to the stairwell, which took us down like three or four stories down into this incredible lobby um, and and on one side of the lobby was a 40 foot high series of dinosaur photographs and my little boy was into dinosaurs at the time and ran across to the dinosaur posters and just stood there marveling at the tyrannosaurus rex and the and the pterodactyls and he was just mesmerized for 15 minutes and then he turned around and on the other end of the lobby he saw the silver bullet train and the dinosaurs became obsolete and he ran across to the bullet train and spent 15 minutes in the bullet train and then he saw heaven on earth he looked across and he saw the gift shop and ran across to the gift shop and he spent a good 45 minutes just combing through 
every single thing and all of the hours. And after 45 minutes, we'd been in the lobby for an hour. He came out and he said, Dad, thank you for bringing me to the science museum. It was the most incredible experience. And I said to him, Bud, this is the lobby. We've got an entire museum to, to experience and to look into. And what I want to speak about tonight is something of that. The, the gospel, the good news of the cross, the good news that Jesus died on the cross to, to pay for our sins. And, and, and the fact that he rose again three days later and is seated at the Father's right hand, reigning in glory. We need to know that today. God is seated at the uh, Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, reigning in glory. The good news of the gospel is is simply, friends, an entranceway into experiencing the life of the kingdom of God. It is breathtaking news. It is glorious news, but it is a means to a more breathtaking and more glorious end. God wants us to experience the incredible treasures of His kingdom. I think sometimes we can we can focus more about what we're saved from and forget about what we're saved for. And I hope that through this message this evening, I hope that the Spirit of God is going to stir something in our hearts to help us realize that there are incredible promises, incredible things that God wants each and every one of us, each and every one of our churches to take hold of in this time. And not just be camped out in the lobby of the science museum, but that we would go and step into the museum and experience these remarkable treasures that God has for us. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you, if you, if you are taking notes, to jot down three words. We're going to focus on three words and with it, three questions. And the three words that we're going to focus on this evening are the words promises, posture, and practices. Promises posture, and practices. And the first word we're going to focus on is the word promises. And that comes with a question. And the question is simply this, what are the promises of God? Mm. But I, I, I don't want that to be a general question. I want that to be a very specific question for you. Perhaps for your family, or perhaps for the life group that you lead, or the church that you're a part of. I want you to think about two or three promises that God has given you that you are still to see fulfilled and through the sermon I'm hoping that something of of a release of faith from heaven would be stirred in your heart so that we can begin to see those promises being taken hold now if you're here to, this evening and you can't think of a promise that God has given you I trust I pray that maybe through today's sermon or perhaps through this weekend God is going to remind you, because God has spoken to each and every one of us, that God would remind you of the promises that he has spoken over you. The promises of God, to me, are incredible, remarkable, endless. It can be sometimes like us going out into the countryside like we are, and perhaps on a clear night like tonight is, to look out and just to see the, the, the endless number of stars that are in the sky. That is the reality of God's promises. But that can be a little overwhelming. If you're anything like me, that can be like, Lord, where do I focus on? And let's trust that the Spirit of God would help us, as it were, get a telescope to be able to focus in on one or two or three promises that God wants to remind us of and go after. There was a wonderful word in the prayer meeting before tonight's uh, meeting of God speaking a now word to us. 
And so let me ask you this. What is the, what is the now promise of God for you? What is, the, what is the promise that you believe God is asking you to trust for right now to take hold of? The prom- when we go after God's promises, there is, there is a unique journey that each and every one of us have to go through. We're created uniquely. God has unique promises for us. And, and so there are unique things that God has for each of us to experience as we go after these promises. But there are things that are in common for all of us to learn. And I think there are two parts to every faith journey as we go after the, the, the promises of the Lord. The first part is this. Every faith journey begins with God's word revealing God's promises. Now, I know that sounds simple, but it has to begin with God's word. Otherwise, it's not faith. It's presumption. Every faith journey begins with God's word revealing God's promises. Hebrews 11, verse 8, the passage that I asked you to look at, Hebrews 11, verse verse 8, it says this, By faith, when called, there's the word of God, by faith, when called, to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. God called Abraham to receive a place that was was his, his inheritance. The word of God came to reveal the promise of God. Now, it's very important to say this, that if God's promise comes to us from God speaking to us, then we shouldn't be surprised when the devil tries to undermine the word of God to us. That was the strategy that the devil had in Genesis chapter 3 to Adam and Eve. It was the strategy that the devil had when he came to tempt Jesus. And friends, it's the strategy that the devil will use against each of us. Did God really say you see he knows that if he can kind of cut the promises of god off at the past at the at the very inception then the promises of god won't ever come to fruition so don't be surprised if god speaks or when god speaks to you and reveals a promise that he has for you don't be surprised if at that moment you start to go through some some challenges the devil is trying to undermine the reality of god speaking to us The second part of every faith journey is that faith is our response to God's word. Faith is how we respond to God speaking through his word, speaking to us his promises. Faith is our conviction in the faithfulness of God. Friends, we we need to know that faith is not something that we muster up. Faith is not something that we churn up in our own strength. Faith is not something that we kind of white knuckle and and, and clench our jaw and say, I am determined to have faith. Faith is the conviction that God will do exactly what God said he would do. At the end of every faith journey, when when we realize, when we see the promises of God fulfilled and we look back on the faith journey, the testimony of that faith journey is not our faith. It's God's faithfulness. It's revealing to us that it was God who was faithful. So let me say this. God speaks to us. God speaks his, 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 his word to us. And we need to know that the promises of God are guaranteed because he is faithful. But that doesn't mean they're automatic. We need to take hold of those promises that God has spoken over us. So the first question is this. What has God promised you? What has God promised you? 
Second question. Second word is the word posture. The second question that I, that I want to ask is, what is the posture of your heart towards the Lord? First question, what is the promises of God to you? Second question, what is the posture of your heart towards the Lord? I think there is something that God wants to teach every one of us as we journey on a, on, by faith to take hold of God's promises. And it's this, that the ultimate outcome of every faith journey is not the promises of God fulfilled. Although God does fulfill his promises, the ultimate outcome of every faith journey is closeness and intimacy with Jesus. Because when, when we come to the end of our faith journey, having seen God being faithful and, re and, and the promises of God being realized, we look back and we realize how close we have grown and how intimate we have become with Jesus. God doesn't just dispense promises and fulfill promises. God speaks his word and in doing so reveals his heart. Think of how intimate it is to speak words of love and affection and purpose and destiny. God is not just, uh, he's not just revealing promises and fulfilling them. He's revealing his heart. So when the devil comes, friends, to say things like, did God really say? What he's ultimately trying to do is he's trying to interfere with the relationship with the Lord. What he actually is saying is, did God really speak to you? Think of how many times we compare ourselves to others when we're going through a difficult time. Oh, God speaks to them, but he's not speaking to me. We need to be aware of the, 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 the attack of the, of the enemy in, in that area. God wants communication from him to become communion with him when we respond to his word by faith. So faith, friends, is what I want to speak on tonight. How do we go after? How do we posture our hearts to ensure that we see the promises of God fulfilled? Promises, posture, and the third word, practices. What are the practices of your life? And I think it's quite simple. Knowing the promises of God and ensuring that the posture of our hearts is one of, of submission and yieldedness and humility before the Lord, that determines that, that that results in the practices of our lives being one of obedience to the Lord's promises. God loves obedience. James, uh, John chapter 15, uh, verse 14, Jesus says this, You are my friends if you do what I command. But it's not gritting my teeth obedience. It's not I'm going to do this in my own strength obedience. It's empowered obedience, empowered by relationship with Jesus, empowered by surrendering our lives to the word of God, empowered by knowing and learning how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And so with those three questions, what I want us to do is to go through two case studies and see how this kind of applies itself in practice. Those questions again, what are the promises of God? What is the posture of your heart? And thirdly, what are the practices of your life? Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, if we can. We're going to look at the example of Abraham and the example of Joshua. Taking hold of the promises of God. Taking hold of the new ground that God has given us. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, there's God speaking. There's the word of the Lord coming. And he's about to reveal a promise to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, and here comes the promise, 
Go from or leave your country, your people, and your father's house, household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, it's important to see that it's God is speaking a promise of a new land. But he requires Abraham to do two things. He requires Abraham to, to get out, is the actual Hebrew translation of, of go to. It's, it's a getting out of where he currently is in order to go into where the Lord wants to take him. And we have to realize that by faith, when we go after the promises of God, it involves a getting up and getting out of where we currently are so that we can step into and go after the things that God has promised us. It's a getting out of our comforts. It's a getting out of our limitations. It's a getting out of our stagnation. It's a getting out even of our fear so that we can begin the journey or the adventure. Andrew and I were speaking about adventure. God is, loves adventure. He wants us to get out of our comfort zone so that we can adventure towards the promises of God. It requires courage. Every one of you know it requires courage to step out of the comfort zone that we're currently in to go after the promises of God, to journey from here to where God wants to take us, from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory, from the promise of God in the form of a seed to the promise of God in the form of a fruit. Who of us here want God to promise us and give us his word as a promised seed only for us still to be holding that seed years later. Seed is meant to grow and develop into fruit. The promise of God fulfilled is what God has for us. Many years ago, back in Chicago, we, um, we rented this old building. Now, old in England, I fully understand, is 1400s. <laughs> old in America, don't judge me, is late 1800s. That's considered old in America. And in downtown Chicago, we rented this office space in a building that was built in the, in the late 1800s, about 1890. That was considered an old building. And so this building kind of creaked and what have you. And on winter nights, when it was getting dark at about 4.15 and the snow was lashing against the windows and the wind was blowing, we used to work there. And sometimes I would be the last one to leave. And the problem was... The light switch for the building was at the front door, and I'd have to walk right down this entire length of, of a corridor, probably as long as this building is, to get to the back door to where my car was. And I would stand at the front door with the lights on, and I'd turn the lights off, and I'd listen, and it would sound so creepy. There was security standing next to the light switch, because when the light was on, those noises seemed to disappear. But as soon as the lights were off, I could hear those, those noises. I could hear the floors creaking already. And I knew that I would have to turn the lights off and make my way to the promise of getting out of the building into my car. Now, so that's something of what the faith of a faith journey looks like. God gives us a promise. We have to be courageous enough to step out of that comfort zone to begin the journey from here to there. When we do that... We're stepping away from our self-sufficiency. And we're stepping into the all-sufficiency of God. We're stepping out of our self-sufficiency and stepping into the all-sufficiency of God. Look at verse 2. Here comes God's promise. I will. Not you will. I will. 
make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. God goes on to promise Abraham a number of things, but primarily there are two things that God was promising Abraham. He was promising him a great name and he was promising him that he would become a nation. Mm. To, to have a great name or to become a great name meant that you needed to have offspring. But the problem was Abraham couldn't even have number one. And to, and to become a great nation, you needed land. But the land that God was promising Abraham was inhabited by the Canaanites. Both of God's promises were impossible in the natural. And maybe that's how you feel right now as you... Just remember those promises that God has spoken of you. Maybe as you look down on your notes and you, and you see that one or two or three promises that God has promised you, they might seem impossible. Let me tell you, God specializes in doing impossible things. Amen. Verse 4. What did Abraham do? So Abraham left. So Abraham left. Abraham obeyed. Friends, if you want to know what success looks like in the kingdom, it's obedience to what the Lord has asked you to do. Amen. So Abram left just as, which I'm adding, as the Lord had told him. When we step out from that place of, of, uh, of comfort into that place of uncertainty, we need the word of the Lord to hold on to. I know this is going to be a rather dramatic example, but I want to just give you a personal example of, of when God spoke to Debs and I before we were about to leave for Chicago. God had stirred church planting in our hearts uh, for, for a number of years. And we had been obedient to, 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 to do training and what have you. And, and Debs, as often is the case, she's very, very prophetic, had felt that she'd heard the Lord very clearly about the fact that we were going to plant a church. And I still was doubting and I was, I was wrestling with doubt. And, and I had a sense of yes, but I needed something more before we were about to take our family halfway around the world. I needed a, a deep sense of the promise and the word of the Lord. And I'd been praying for, for days. And often, uh, as is the case in my situation, God speaks to me through dreams. And I remember one night I, I, I went to bed and I had this dream of Jesus appearing before me in the dream. And he calls me to him. He says, Steve, Stephen, please come here. I've got something to give you. And in the dream, I go over to Jesus and Jesus hands me a lampstand. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, lampstands represent churches. And Jesus hands me this lampstand. And on this lampstand is written my name. And I take hold of this lampstand in this dream. And I wake up from the dream. And it's like two o'clock in the morning. Debs is fast asleep. And I'm lying in bed holding the bedside lamp that I had gone to sleep with. God was clearly making it very obvious to me that we were to go and to, and to church plant. And I say that now, I say that because 18 years later, I still have that picture vividly in my head. Knowing that when challenges come, I know that God has called us not only to plant, but to lead this church until he says it's time to hand the lampstand on to somebody else. There are three things that Abram did in Genesis 12. We don't have time to look at them in detail, but I want to encourage you maybe over this weekend or in the coming week to read through Genesis 12 and 13. But there are three very important things that Abraham did in response to what the Lord had said. The first thing he did was he pitched a tent. 
And I think that is symbolic of the fact that faith, going after the promises of God, is a journey. He pitched a tent. Going after the promises of God is a journey. And often, we're stepping into a journey, and if I can be honest for a moment, it's a time of contrasting emotions. There are times when we're full of hope, and times when we are despairing. There are times when we are courageous, and let's be honest. There are times when we are we, we are fearful. There are times when we when the Lord the word of the Lord seems so clear, and there are times when the word of the Lord seems so distant. There are times when Jesus feels so close, and there are times when we feel so alone. Let me tell you, God is with us every single step of the way. But I, the point I'm trying to make is the journey towards the promises of God is exactly that. Abraham pitched a tent because it was a journey. The second thing that Abraham did was he built an altar. And that for me is symbolic of him encountering the Lord. Him uh, 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 being intentional to worship the Lord. Him learning how to keep in step with the Spirit. What was the second question? What is the posture of your heart? Abraham was posturing his heart as a, as a heart of worship and surrender unto the Lord. And the third thing that Abraham did, and you'll see this phrase often in the book of Genesis, he called on the name of the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. Remember the first, third question, what are the practices of your life? Abraham's practice was to call on the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord simply meant to call on God as he has revealed himself. Mm. To call on God as he has revealed himself. So let me just remind you, when God speaks his promise over you, God is revealing something of his character that you can hold on to so that you can call on him in the way that he has revealed himself. If God has promised financial breakthrough, God is revealing himself to you as the one who provides so that you can call on him in that way. Four years ago to this month, our second daughter had a near-death experience where she had a brain uh, bleed, a spontaneous brain bleed unexpectedly. And without going into the details, she was minutes away from dying. And by a series of miracles, she was miraculously saved. But the first couple of nights, she was in ICU, and it was touch and go as to whether she would actually survive. And I'll never forget that first night where she came out of surgery after lengthy surgery. They cut her brain open and literally removed all the blood and put a titanium plate on her. And she was in ICU and um, intubated, intubated, is that the right word? intubated. And um, the doctor said, uh, we'll only know probably in the morning or the next couple of days whether she'll pull through. And I remember going to, we were exhausted. We had spent all day there. And the doctor said, there's not much you can do. So why don't you try and go home and get some sleep? And we went home to the elder, a, a, a couple in our, on our eldership team. We went home that night, and I remember sitting at the bottom of, of their bed that they had given us. And we, we just opened our hands to the Lord, and we said, Lord, we trust that Hannah would be healed. But we just trust, we know that you are sovereign. And I remember the Lord speaking so clearly into our hearts, promising that she would recover fully. It was as clear as a bell. God gave us the promise that he would heal our daughter. And over the last four years, because she hasn't fully recovered, over the last four years, God, we are reminded of the promise God gave us, the way that he had revealed himself to us, that enabled us to call on the name of the Lord as he had revealed himself. So the question I want you to ask yourself is, 
through the promises that God has revealed to you, how is he revealing himself? How does God want you to call on him? In that time between here and there, in that time between where we are right now and where God wants to take us, if we, if we forget that it is a journey, if we forget and if we, if we don't remember those encounters that we had with the Lord, and if we don't remember the faithfulness of God and remember how God has revealed himself along the way, we lose sight of God's faithfulness. And our faith begins to falter. And friends, that's when we start to see our faith faltering. Because what we are doing is we are reaching into tomorrow the things that we cannot control. And we bring them into today and try to control those things that are out of our control that are there tomorrow. I don't think I explained that very well. But I think I trust that you know what I was trying to say. When we, are, when we are anxious, when, we are, when our faith falters, we reach into tomorrow and we grab hold of the things that we cannot control and we bring them into today to try and control them. We, we lean again on our self-sufficiency rather than God's all-sufficiency. There's a beautiful passage, and we won't turn it in Genesis 22, when we, and I'm sure we know it well, when the faith journey that Abraham was going on was up the mountain to sacrifice his son. And halfway up the mountain, his son says to him, Dad, where is the ram for the sacrifice? And Abraham makes this incredible statement. God himself will provide. In other words, I, I can't control the outcome, but I know when we get there, God will be there for us. He wasn't, he wasn't reaching into a, a place that, where he wasn't and trying to control it in the here and now. He trusted that God would be there when they got there. And that's exactly what happened. I remember so clearly um, uh, after our daughter was out of ICU and after she was, uh, she was in hospital for about 10 days and then she had to be transferred to a rehab hospital to the brain trauma unit to go through various um, uh, uh, days of rehab. She ended up there for 10 days or so. And I remember the, the schedule that we had was I would wake up at 5 in the morning. I would, it was in winter. I'd catch the bus. Because Debs needed the car to take our son to school. I would catch the bus and get to the hospital as Hannah was waking up. And then I would be there for the morning during her rehab. And then Debs and I would do, as she would come for the afternoon shift. And I remember, they, I remember getting there one morning and, and Hannah was still sleeping. We were on the 24th floor of, a, of an incredible hospital facility in downtown Chicago. And she was sleeping. And so I went off to the corner and there was this floor to ceiling window and a little bench, and I was sitting on the bench, and I was just crying out to the Lord. And I remember looking out, and it was winter, and the, again, the snow was blowing, and you could see the city lights. And I was just feeling very overwhelmed at the situation, not really knowing how to, what even to pray. And, and I found myself asking the question, Lord, what if? What if this hadn't happened? Or what if, what, what if this, 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 this didn't occur? Looking backwards. Or, or looking ahead and saying, Lord, what if this happens again? And I remember as clearly as a bell, God saying this to me, and I, and I hope this will encourage you on your faith journey. God said to me, Steve, it's not what if, it's what now. What do you, what I want you to do now. Focus on the now. 
find my presence in the present. What I was doing was trying to trying to control what might come tomorrow and not trusting that the Lord would be there. And God was saying to me, no, not what if, what now? Focus on the presence of the Lord now. Genesis 13 describes this incredible uh, moment where, where Abraham, after, after his faith falters, he eventually comes to his senses and he returns back in Genesis 13. Do you know where Abraham goes after he realized his faith had faltered? He goes back to the altar that he had built in memory of the Lord speaking to him. So friends, what do we do when our faith falters? What should we do when our faith falters? Go back to the promises of God and remind yourself of his faithfulness. Real quick, I want us to turn, if we can, to Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to be finished in the next uh, five or ten minutes. And any preacher who, maybe I shouldn't say that. (laughs) I will do my best to be finished in the next five to ten minutes. Notice I gave, my way, gave myself a 50% leeway right, right there. Joshua 1. Let's do, I'll do this in, half, in, in, real, in real quick time. But I just want to show you a second case study so that we don't think this is just, um, to, just to do with, with Abraham. Joshua chapter, one, uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Just a real quick context. We know the story. The Israelites are are slaves in Egypt, and God wants them to see him move in power as he releases the ten plagues over Egypt. He wants them to see it because he wants their faith to build. And as they come out of Egypt, he, he, he wants the Israelites to see how he moves in power in parting the Red Sea and destroying the Egyptian army and him providing food uh, uh, you know, by manna and, 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 and water from a rock. And the Israelites saw the glory of the Lord come upon Mount Sinai. All of this was to build their faith so that they could step into the promised land. And they come to the flooded Jordan. And, and 12 spies are sent into the promised land. And you know the story. Ten come back and they give a, a poor report. And they essentially say this in Numbers 14. We should choose another leader and go back to Egypt. They had gotten all that way to the edge of the promised, of, of the promised land. Just about to take hold of the promises of God. And they say, God has surely got this wrong. And we know what happens is that over the next uh, 40 years, every single person over the age of 20 is killed before they can enter in. Now, I did the math. That's 85 deaths a day. That's three deaths every hour for 40 years. That was the, that was the environment of lack of faith and despair into which God was now asking Joshua to cross the flooded Jordan into the promised land. Think about the despair that we might feel. God doesn't give up on the nation of Israel. God doesn't give up on us as we are standing on the edge of the promises saying, God, this is impossible. God has promises for us. And he says, 
he says to Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Friends, it would be so tragic if we as churches, whether for us in the States or you here in the UK, come to the edge of the promised land and we see what God wants to do in this nation and we throw up our hands and say, Moses is dead. The Jordan is flooded. Surely God's not going to do this. Let's not be like those spies. Let's be like Joshua, who responds to the call of God to be strong and courageous. How does he do that? Three things, and then we're finished. Firstly, we need to stand on the certainty of God's promises. It comes back again. Look at verse 2. God says, I want, to, I want you to cross the land, cross into the land I am about to give you. Verse 3, I will give you every place that you set your foot. Verse 6, go into the land I swore to give you. What I want you to, to, to see is not so much the specific promises that God had given Israel and Joshua, but the certainty that God speaks of giving promises, of seeing promises fulfilled. That's the certainty with which God speaks over the promises that he has made to you and to me. I said this previously, friends, we need to remind ourselves that God is faithful. In fact, in Joshua chapter 4, the Israelites are commanded to build a, a memorial to the faithfulness of God. They are commanded to remember the faithfulness of God. Friends, can I be so bold and to say, we should, we should hear that from the Lord, that we are commanded by God to remember His faithfulness. Because forgetting is easy. But remembering is hard. Which is why God commands us to look back and not look at our failures or our foolishness, which we so often focus on, but for us to remember God's faithfulness. I feel that is such a, a key thing for us as churches, to look back and to celebrate what God has done, because that stirs faith in our hearts so that we can go after what is still ahead of us. What has God promised you? The second way that Joshua is encouraged to be strong and courageous is to draw strength from the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 5 and 6. No one, God says, will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So often we compare ourselves to others. Oh my goodness, I could never do what Russ has, has called to do. How could, I, how could God ever use me in that way? Oh my goodness, how could I ever do what Malcolm is, is called to do? I could never do the things that, that God has spoken over his life. Exactly. I could never do what Malcolm is called to do because I'm not Malcolm. God has called me to do different things to Malcolm and to us. And it's true for each and every one of us, friends. The grace of God that is on the person sitting next to you is not the grace of God that is on you. Their call and their destiny and their promise in God is different. Everyone, I'm sure Joshua must have compared himself to Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Thanks a lot, Lord. So often, friends, especially in this time, we are looking back to pre-COVID. And I want to say, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
It is not a time for us to try and go back to what it was like before COVID, whether it's true for a church or a life group or for the destiny on your life. We need to understand that the reason Moses was the leader that Moses was is not because of any genius in Moses, but because of the anointing and the hand of God upon Moses. And that same anointing and hand of God will outwork itself uniquely in Joshua and uniquely in each and every one of us here. God's presence is upon us. God's call is upon us. And that's what enables us to be strong and courageous, knowing that God's hand is upon us in the unique way to fulfill the promises of God. Thirdly, be strong and courageous. How? Be committed to live out God's precepts, which is a practice of our lives. Verse 7 and 8, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written on it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This is a season, friends, I believe, where God is calling us for one of the practices in our lives to be folks, to be people who are meditating on the word of the Lord. We are tempted, and there's nothing wrong in doing this, but we are. there's so much news on at the moment. Mm. And it is so easy, whether it's, I, well, let's not get into the details. It's so easy for us to find our compass and our courage from what is happening on the TV. And this is a, this is a time for us to be in the Word, to meditate on the Word, to be repeating the Word, to be praying the Word, to be prophesying the Word, to be writing down the Word, to be preaching the Word, to be sharing the Word with others until the Word of God drowns out the lies of the enemy and the ways of the world. Amen. We need to be following the things that God is saying to us, specifically what He has said in His Word and the promises that He has spoken over each and every one of us. I end with this, Joshua 18, verse 2. Joshua asks this question, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord has given you? I'll read that again. How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord has given you? I believe with all of our hearts, we, we, th there was the sense of, of life being on the word now in the prayer meeting before. And, and, and maybe I can be so bold. And I say this for myself. I say this for, for Debs. I say this for our church as much as I, I trust I'm speaking a now word over us here in the UK. But how long are we going to be exploring the, 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 the wonder of the lobby of the science museum while the fullness of the museum itself is there available for us to take hold of. I trust that we would be those bold enough with faith to step out of the comfort zones that we currently are in. To call on the name of the Lord as He has revealed Himself. And to take those steps what now, Lord? What now, Lord? I think it's Psalm 36. I might get that wrong, but I think it's Psalm 36 that, that David writes, you, you, uh, you, uh, oh my goodness. 
You broaden the path beneath my feet. I love that. It, it, I get this picture of a carpet that's, that's unraveling as we take steps. Let this be a season where, where we take steps of faith. And as we take those steps of faith, the Lord broadens the path beneath our feet. As we take those steps out of the lobby of the Science Museum into the museum itself. At the end of Genesis 13, as, as Abraham has, has gone through this incredible transition of receiving the promises of God, to then his faith failing, to then coming to his senses, going back to the promises of God, and, and, and resting in God's faithfulness, at the very end, God says a couple of things over Abraham. He tells him to, to, to lift his head. This is the time for us to lift our, our heads. Amen. This is the time for us to, to lift our heads. He tells, God tells Abraham to look to the north and the south and the east and the west. I want to encourage you, friends. Go back to your city. Go back to your town. Find the highest place possible. And look to the north and the south and the east and the west. And look at what God has given you. And look to the place, look at what he, he, has, he has called you to. Lift our heads. Look. And then God tells Abraham, walk. Begin to take those steps of faith. Begin to take that next step. Whatever that is for you, take that next step. And God will begin to broaden the path beneath your feet. Let's pray together. You want to share anything? Lord, I thank you for the promises, the incredible kingdom promises that are represented by your precious people in this room. I thank you for family members that you have promised to save. I thank you for marriages that you have promised to heal. I thank you for towns and villages and cities that you have promised to to pour out your spirit upon i thank you for churches that you have promised to plant and to establish i thank you for healing that you have promised to release and for deliverance that you have promised to declare and so much more so much more immeasurably more. Thank you. Father, I pray that you would help us to lift our heads. Where we've perhaps become discouraged, perhaps overwhelmed, perhaps tired. Holy Spirit, would you gently but powerfully lift our heads? Help us to look and to see, to see you, Jesus, first and foremost, our King, seated at the Father's right hand, seated in glory over the whole earth, sovereign and in charge. Help us to rest in that truth, sovereign and in charge. But Jesus, would you help us tonight? To see things as you see them. 
where we see a flooded Jordan River, help us to see a river that has been split and dry ground to walk across. Where we see a city tightly shut up like Jericho was, help us to see a city that you have delivered into our hands. Where we see sickness, help us to see your healing. Where we see bondage, help us to see your freedom. And then, Lord, I pray for your courage that we could take steps this weekend. Steps into and toward your promise. Forgive us, Lord, where we have at times relied on our self-sufficiency. Where we've picked up things in the hope of trying to do it in our own strength. Help us to open our hands and to receive what you have already done for us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray for your rest. Pray for your peace. Thank you, Lord. Breathe on us, we pray. Breathe on us, we pray. Breathe on us, we pray.